You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, everybody. I want to take just a minute out of this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast to tell you that we are officially opening the Sandbox membership in September. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please click the link below to either sign up for the membership or get on the waiting list for the membership. And if you click the link, you'll find more information about what's included, what our plans are, and better yet, you'll be on early enough to help decide what is most important to you to experience in the first three to six months of the membership. So don't wait. Click the link below and join us in the sandbox where fun happens. We get to do a little R&R, little learning, support one another, and really grow and expand in ourselves, in our lives, and impact the world in a profound way. So come on over, join us. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Welcome back. I'm Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where we are on a mission to help individuals, teams, organizations, nonprofits, entrepreneurs to think outside the box, move beyond limiting labels and beliefs, and create a profound impact in the lives of others, however that looks in each of our lives. But we do this by sharing accomplished and inspiring guests who have challenged their own limiting labels and beliefs to pursue and accomplish personal and professional goals. So today, I'm excited to introduce a truly remarkable guest, Stacy Francis. When I read Stacy's bio, did some digging in her background, I even got more excited um, because she's super knowledgeable in her professional field, but she's also very deep in her personal growth. And um, I think that combination of things is unstoppable. So let me tell you, Stacy is the president and CEO of Francis Financial, which is a fee-only boutique wealth management financial planning and divorce financial planning firm. And she's dedicated to providing that ongoing comprehensive advice for successful individuals, couples, and women in transition, such as divorce or widowhood. She has a lot of certifications. Um, we'll put them in the notes because once I start reading them, it'll start sounding like really long. But the big piece for you to take away from that is she knows what she's talking to. And she has more than 20 years of experience in the financial industry. But one of the things that made Stacy really stand out to me is she founded a nonprofit called the Savvy Ladies. Um, she's also the host of the Financially Ever After podcast and the author of the white paper, Unveiling the Unspoken Truth, the Financial Challenges Women Face During and After Divorce, and Financial Help for Widows, a complete resource guide. So clearly, she knows her stuff. She's got folks in mind. She's got a heart for helping people. Um, and so that's going to guide some of my questions with her. She has a profound story that changed her life by someone very close to her when she was younger. Um, and we're going to talk about that. I'm, I do want to know more about what motivated her to start her nonprofit and what she's learned through that process. And ultimately, why she is so dang passionate about women's financial security and wealth planning. You know, and as I even as I say that, I wonder how many of us women actually think about that. It's like we want to make sure we're in a good space. But how many of us actually think about it as wealth planning, just not beyond just being secure in the here and now or even into retirement. So she can tell us about some typical misconceptions and barriers and then what we can actually do about them to get unstuck and move forward. So with that introduction, let me formally welcome Stacy Francis to the podcast. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here because I know my own journey into financial um, learning and growth 
started really young, but it, that was in the holding on to and managing my own money, like when I got my first bank account. But it wasn't until many years later that I actually started thinking about investing in myself, really, that mind shift from just having money to actually making it work for you and investing in yourself and thinking long term. Um, I wished I had known you then because then it would have been a lot smoother and I wouldn't have to like pick and choose and go, what does this mean here and there? So um, before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, can you share um, about your own kind of how did you get to do this work story, your background on that? Yeah, I'm happy to share. It's interesting. There's not too many little girls that um, when you ask, what do you want to do when you grow up, say, you know, I'd love to be a financial planner and I like to focus on helping women who are widows or are thinking are going through divorce. Um, you're just not going to see that. And I never expected myself to go into this field. In fact, I was the little girl who sat in the back of the math class. And that was even worse because I, I needed glasses and I refused to wear them. So I couldn't even see the chalkboard. Um, but fast forward um, several years more, uh, I started to notice uh, things. Uh, my grandfather, when I would go visit um, my grandparents, he would not treat my grandmother nicely. Um, he would say really mean things to her. He had a really uh, violent temper. He also had a drinking problem and was an alcoholic. And what eventually I realized later is that there was also physical abuse. And it was coupled with, of course, emotional abuse that I had seen all my life, but something else that I never really knew could happen called financial abuse. And so um, my grandmother was really trapped, trapped in a marriage and um it was a really big learning for me of how lack of financial education, lack of financial empowerment, not having that support can can trap women in unhealthy relationships and dangerous relationships. Um, you know, and eventually she actually passed away because of the abuse. So it, you know, was one of the most heart-wrenching times of my life. But what I'll talk about today is how my journey of healing um, really gave me the courage to do um, some really big things in my life and to be able to pay it forward. So how old were you when your grandma passed away and you put all these pieces together in your own head like this plus this plus this is being financially in prison, basically? Yeah, um, so it was in my 20s, and um, I'll be honest that I had a lot of anger, obviously, with my grandfather, um, but I actually had a lot of anger with her. And before anyone judges me, um, I couldn't fathom and understand how a smart, strong woman would ever put up with that. And it wasn't until losing her that I learned and drove myself to to try and understand domestic violence more. And that's what just opened my eyes to um, what what a a pandemic this is, what an issue this is, um, and that this is something that I might be able to help with, that I might be able to, you know, save one other person's life or just make one other person's life better. Um, for women, I truly believe it's it's not about the Gucci handbag, although for some people they really like that. Um, but women and money are such it's so important to us because it gives us options money gives us opportunities 
and money also helps us out of unsafe situations, whether that's a relationship, that's marriage, whether that's a job that is not treating us right. Um, I realize, I, I've, I've realized with that, that money in some situations for women can be really a, a life and death. Um, Absolutely. And have you found in working with women, let's go even, so you've got the whole domestic violence piece, which, you know, that has been, um, that has been something that advocates have been working on for a long time because there's a big taboo. It's hard for people to talk about it, less so today than before. Um, but still, I've worked with nonprofits since the 90s that have been pushing on this, right? And people just, there's a tendency to want to minimize. And it's usually the subtle um, things that get minimized, right? Like if you show up beaten, it's like, oh, something happened. But like the psychological pieces you're talking about, the financial pieces you're talking about, harder to see and easier for someone to discount, you know, especially if they don't understand a cycle or a condition as you do. Um, so I'm curious, was that what drove you to start Savvy? Yeah, so for me, um, I ended up launching the charity when I was 26. And it it was my way of making sure that no other woman finds herself in that situation. Um, I'll be honest, part of the reason why I went into this field was because I didn't want to become my grandmother and realized that for me to understand money, well, I better start to take courses. And what's so funny, Sarah, is that the more courses I took, oh my God, it, it like lit a fire inside of me of, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm good at this. Oh my gosh, I really enjoy this. It's fascinating. And, um, yeah. And so I started, uh, Savvy Ladies with that mission of, empowering women. Um, and we serve women, you know, all different backgrounds um, from as young as 18 through their 80s. Um, you know, some are in, you know, unfortunately, financial abuse situations or, or physical. Um, but a lot of the women who are coming to us, they uh, are financially vulnerable and they have questions about, you know, how do I save for retirement when I'm a single mom? Um, my husband passed away. What social security benefits am I entitled to? What benefits are, is my child entitled to? Um, you know, starting their first job and having questions about, you know, do I pay off my hundred thousand dollars in student loans, my twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt? Or do I put the money into my 401k and get a match? All these, you know, just really important questions that women have. And um, my dream was to have this beautiful, supportive organization community where any woman could go to learn, to find support, and um to get her, you know, her questions answered. Um, and fast forward, here we are, you know, 20 some years later. Um, it's been a journey, but boy, um, it's it's grown to 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 be far beyond anything I could ever really quite frankly, Sarah, um, could have ever even like dreamed of or hoped of. Well, when you start something and you're passionate about it, you just keep going right and see what evolves and you can morph it to address what comes up with the gals you're helping. Um, so you, you just shared quite a bit there, and I'm thinking about the question even, of, you know, do I pay off a debt? Do I pay off credit cards? Do I invest in my 401k? What the heck do I do? Um, so let us say that it is a 25-year-old, 26-year-old, as you were when you started Savvy, where and that was the situation. They had college debt, they got credit card debt, and now they've got a they they're in a company, they're gonna get vested, they can put money into a 401k. What advice do you give someone like that? Because those are like I've been there. I've been the person being asked and saying, Let me point you to someone who can help you because I'm not a financial advisor, right? But I know that those are big important questions. 
Where would you tell someone to start or how to think about that? Maybe not even what to do, but how to even think approach that? It's a great question. Um, So if someone was coming to our helpline, it's right on the website, SavvyLadies.org. One of our volunteers, and I'm one of them, um, they would say the first off thing, all the two types of debt, your credit card debt and your student loans, which of them has the highest interest rate? Whatever one that is, that is the one that you pay off first. And you continue to then pay them off in order of interest rate. Now, there's a point when it makes more sense to invest money in the market than it does to pay off a debt. Most people, when they think about that equation, um, they think about, do I pay off my mortgage or do I invest money? And for 99% of folks, it's usually don't pay off the mortgage, invest your money. And so if you're looking at an interest rate of like 3% or 4% or even 5%, then most likely it's better not to pay it down and take that money and put it into the market, even more so if you're able to put it into your retirement plan at work, 401k, maybe a 403b, a TDA, they have lots of names, and if they match it. And what you want to do is put enough money in to at least get the full match. And why that's so important, I always say, you know, what would you do if you're walking out of New York City you're, you're walking and you see a $100 bill sitting on the ground, just sitting there. Um, what would you do? Well, you'd pick it up. Now, we would look around, right? And we would make sure that it's not someone's, but you wouldn't just leave it there. And that's what a lot of Americans are doing, is they're not getting their match from their employer. And they're really just leaving free money laying around, all around them as they walk or commute to work. So that's what we we would say as um, a volunteer, someone coming to the helpline. Yeah. And is that generally because people think shorter term, you know, like, but I have this cash now, or it's a long time before I see what comes out of my, I mean, like, is there a reason people miss that, like the quote unquote free money? Often it's because we have so many competing financial priorities. We have, um, I mean, it could be credit card debt and you're paying that down, but if you've been able to get yourself in a, a place where you don't have credit card debt, you've built up your emergency fund and that's three to six months of your living expenses in a high yield savings account, um, then you, you need to look at, at retirement and I, I remember being 23 and putting money in my 401k because, you know, that's what they told me I should be doing, thinking, are you kidding me? Like, you know, number one, the amount of money I can put in is pathetic because it was my first job, but I put in the amount I could to, and, and I struggled to, to get that $5,000 in because at $5,000, I could get a full match and they then put another $5,000 in for me. And, you know, $10,000, what's that? But what I will tell you is that if you put, let's say $7,500, $7,500 in from age 25 to age 65 each year, and it earns about a 6% rate of return, you're looking at almost a million dollars in your nest egg by age 65. But it's hard for our brains even to compute how how can $7,500 a year make such a big difference to me? But you know what? It, it actually really does. And so when you're thinking about all those different financial priorities, know that it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do the best you can. And trust me, every additional dollar you add to it will give you thousands and thousands of dollars more in the future. It is hard to see that when you're young. I mean, I remember the same thing you're talking about. I'm going, really? You know, and and so someone told me, they said, can you put 10 percent of your paycheck in? And I said, 
I, I computed it. I'm thinking, yeah, I'd have to give up some of this other stuff. It wasn't going to affect my ability to put a roof over my head, pay my, you know, power bills or feed, right? It was just going to be a little inconvenient for some fun stuff. But I started doing it. And, you know, once it's gone, especially before you ever get your paycheck, right? You just get used to living on that. So you don't notice. And to your point, when I left my firm and went out and started getting my payouts, well, actually, I, I delayed pulling those out just because I'm thinking, I don't need them right now. But it was shocking to me what had accumulated because I tried to hit the match every year. It's like, I'm not leaving money on the table. But someone had to convince me that, like, Sarah, just do it, right? You don't have any credit card debt anymore. You took care of it. It took a while, though. It's not yeah. an overnighter. Um, but I'm so grateful someone told me that because it would have, I would have been in a slightly different position. Um, so, okay. And then when you do that and you, so you talked about like where to start with that, the competing priorities, you know, like that kind of challenge for us, which are very real, especially with our economy being kind of wacky, right. And prices being a little bit up and down and all over. Um, do you have folks, how do you help folks plan for that, the volatility in it, especially if you're invested in something? Cause that can really be a shocker when you see that sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really passionate about this subject of investing, um, especially for women. And I, uh, I love to talk about this because we as women, um, typically don't have as much investment experience. Also, women compared to men, when we take different surveys, uh, we also score ourselves lower on our ability for investing and also our confidence level around investing is a lot lower. But what I have to tell you, Sarah, what studies have also shown is that we're actually better investors, right? Like it. <laughs> Uh, women actually tend to, over the long term, with the same risk, um, outperform our male counterparts. So how do we do it? Thanks. That's my question. And hopefully this will help everyone kind of raise their own confidence level. Well, the first thing is, is that we like to research. We don't just throw money in the market. There's we we, we really do research. We'll do reading. We may talk to a financial advisor. Um, and we're more likely to to put that money in to have it work for us and have it work for the long term. Men are more likely to, um, once they start investing, engage in what's called market timing, which is what it sounds like. Buying when you think things are going to go up, selling when you're going to think things are going to go down. And what we know about that is that people who do that are typically wrong and they underperform in their investments, um, different studies, anywhere from one to 3% a year. So pretty big numbers. So women tend to outperform again for two reasons. Number one, because there's a lot of research and, and thought that goes into how we actually invest and what we choose. Um, and then number two, we can be, tend to be more committed to those investments in good times and in bad. There is one area, though, that we do need to, I don't want to say improve upon, but to talk about. And that's that we tend to also invest more conservatively. And that may not be a bad thing, but for a lot of women who are financially behind, investing more conservatively can actually be dangerous, even though we don't think of it that way. Because we as women need significantly more money when we are starting retirement. But the reality is, is that women typically start retirement with 30% less in assets, even though we live much longer and actually, our expenses in retirement are higher. And it's not because we're going shopping at Chico's all the time. It's because we have greater medical expenses and, and we really do live longer. So, um, 
investing is something I'm just absolutely passionate about. And what I do have to say is that to be a good investor, it's if you watch a lot of these like TV shows, um, it makes you feel like you you have to be Albert Einstein or you have to be, you know, a, a great investment mind. Um, and the reality is a lot more boring. You can build a diversified portfolio with a few mutual funds and let it grow. Maybe rebalance it, kind of bring it back in balance when one, you know, one of those, maybe your stocks grow much more quickly than your bonds. So you just kind of bring it back and um, do that. But again, um, it's it's not as complicated as I think a lot of people make it to seem to be. But that's what you help people with in your firm, right? So if I were to come to you and say, okay, here's my portfolio. Um, is this where it should be given my age, what my lifestyle is, what I'm doing? Should I keep it here? Should I shift things? I mean, you can actually help someone think through that because those really are the questions, right? Based on how old you are, what your goals are, what you already have. So working with a financial advisor, um, you know, our approach, and, and this will actually help anyone who's listening, who's thinking about either working with someone or, you know, evaluating their own relationship. Um, we believe very strongly that you can't build the right investment portfolio for someone unless you know what their financial plan tell, says that, that it needs to do. So every one of our clients have this beautiful financial roadmap. It's a crystal ball into their future out to age 95 with every single expense, anything you can imagine that would impact their financial plan to tell us based on what you're saving or what you have saved, are you on track to get out to age 95? And there are a lot of times, Sarah, that it looks beautiful. And at that point, we have the luxury to say, what type of investment portfolio is going to make you feel comfortable? What's your risk tolerance? When you see the market go down, how does that make you feel? We have that luxury. But for some clients, like a client that we're working on her plan right now, Sarah, it does not work. And so we're having to do a few things. Number one, go through her spending and really reevaluate what a sustainable spend rate is for her. And also we're building a portfolio that has much more in stock than, you know, ideally we would like, but she needs to get more return from her portfolio and stop taxing it as much by taking out as so much as she has because her lifestyle expenses are like $400,000 a year. They are significant and, you know, something has to give. So when you say lifestyle, does that include things like mortgage and the month-to-month -month expenses? Yeah. Um, when we include... I hope everyone's sitting down and you guys know that this is New York City. So this is not true of everyone who lives in New York City. Um, but when you add also the real estate, then it's actually closer to about $650,000 a year. Okay. So you can understand with yeah. that spend rate per year that even a unbelievably significant amount of wealth isn't going to bridge you out to age 95. No, that's why I asked, because it's like when you think about spend rate and you said lifestyle. So lifestyle can for some folks just mean on top of the basics. Right. So these I got to cover this. But then lifestyle is the other stuff. So I just that's helpful for you to define what it, what it is. And then if you add in these other things. Um, and so folks listening and I'm doing this for myself as well as to remember that your geographic location your health conditions, all that stuff are going to affect your plan, correct? Oh, my gosh, very much so, you know, impacts your plan. Um, you know, the plans that we write detail expenses down to, like, your Starbucks coffee, um, you know, what, what you're earning, 
the taxes uh, based on that, um, where you expect to retire, what your housing will look like, um, healthcare costs, Medicare costs, all of that. I mean, it's fast. I love it because essentially every plan is kind of like a puzzle to, to make work. And um, some are harder than others. But I, I think the biggest message for everyone listening is that you have the power to set yourself up for financial security. You do. And the number one factor is how much you spend versus how much you earn. I have met individuals with millions and millions of dollars who have been able to save that earning $150,000 a year. I have met individuals who earn $5 million a year who have barely $500,000 saved. And what the big story is, Sarah, is that we are in control of our financial destiny. It is up to us, like you did, to put ourselves first, to save for our future. And I always tell individuals, I, I always just ask that question, do you love yourself? We do, yes. I love myself. Are you going to love yourself, that amazing woman, in 40 years? Well, of course I'm going to love her. Don't you want to take care of her then? Like that mind shift all of a sudden, and I'm getting a little bit of goosebumps, but like, yeah, I really want to take care of her. I want to make sure she's okay. And that's what this is. That's really what it is. Well, and it can have, it can include some uncomfortable conversations, right? Because we want what we want when we want it. and. And when you were talking about the difference between women and men, I remember I just, um, I think it was recently after my husband and I got married. So I'm wife numero dos. Um, but he had his retirement, like he was still working. But he says, well, we need to deal with what I'm going to do with my retirement fund because our CPA is going to ask us that. And I know how it goes, right? You cash out, you start spending it, it's done, right? Like if you set it up that it remains after you die, I'm covered. Right. But you get more money. And I said, honey, I said, that is the biggest scam I ever saw. You know what? If you want to provide for your family, you provide for your family and we live on less now. So he goes, I, he says, I don't know that that's the best idea. And I said, why don't we ask our CPA? <laughs> Cause I knew what he'd say. And he's, and he looked at me and she, my husband says, this is what Sarah's thinking we should do. And he looked at my husband. And he says, why would you do anything other than that? He says, don't you want to take care of your family when you're not here? And I said, maybe you'll outlive me, but stats say you're not, right? But it was it was uncomfortable for me to say that because I felt like, well, you earned that and that. And I thought, nope, this makes sense. I'm taking care of my money. It all goes to you. But it's really having to say, look, it's money. Let's not leave it on the table. Yeah, no, I agree, Sarah. And, um, you know, money is a taboo subject, big time. We, we still don't really talk about money, um, in particular women. We don't, men are much more likely like to talk about, you know, stocks and what they're doing on the golf course, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but we're not, we're more likely to talk about our sex life or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, not money and it's a real disservice. It really, it really is. Um, the more that you talk about money, um, the more comfortable you're going to be around money, you're, you know, all, all these, it's just like a snowball, a snowball. I, know, I really, you, that is so true because I remember growing up, it was like, don't ask people about what they make. And still, I'm, I mean, I don't ask them, well, what do you make? But if I'm friends with you, I will ask you about your thoughts about how do you invest? What do you guys do like this? Do you have your own? I mean, because I'm curious. Yeah. Right? Like, are, you know, are you saving? What are you saving? You know? Yeah. No, I, and I, I think that's phenomenal. I'm seeing more conversation, but um, we're going to be having our gala for Savvy Ladies on November 1st. It's actually online um, as well as in person here in New York City. And it's all about breaking that money silence, um, that taboo, because, again, the more that we talk about this, the more we can learn from each other and just realize like money needs to be it's like going to the gym. Like if you want to get, you know physically fit, you're going to go to the gym, but we also need to be making sure that we're, you know, financially fit. 
Well, and it be, the more you talk or think about it or use it, I find for me the more, and this has taken me a few years to where I don't think about it anymore, but the more you try to hoard it, like hang on tight to it, the more it's like this weird tension relationship with it. And I'm not talking about being extravagant spending, but it's like worry, worry, worry. So then you there's this tension around it. And so now I just go, yes, I want to give somebody this or that, like just because I can, right? And my biggest, this is my biggest goal, is be like to have a whole bunch of money in our trust, which is not big, but to be able to say, let's sponsor somebody to do something, you know, because it would be fun. Right. It would be fun to do that with money. Um, but, yeah, the more you talk about it and you can be relaxed about it. Um, but I do remember the first time I showed this friend of mine who was really smart with money, my credit card statements. And I'm thinking, God, I don't want to be berated. Right. I'm in my late 20s. And he goes, oh, you'll be out of debt here. And he did. He goes, one moment. He goes, 15 months. I go, What? Right. I've been paying on these things for years. And he goes, oh, no, let me show you. He basically said what you said. Let's go to the highest first. We're going to get rid of that one. Pay the minimums here. We're going to knock these out. Sure enough, they were gone. But it it had to be that. Let me show you my embarrassment. Will you lovingly help me out of the hole? And it was it was great. You know, that's why I love what you're doing with Savvy Ladies. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really important for for all women to know is that there's no judgment, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be berated when I go to the optometrist and they're doing the glaucoma check and I don't quite maybe understand all the terms they're saying. No one in the world would, would expect me to, to understand that. Um, but, you know, we, we do have that concern of like, it's almost shame. Like I should know this, but how are you supposed to know this if no one ever taught you? Um, one of the things I always like to think about that sounds so absurd. I'm going to be jumping on a plane to England and, you know, can you imagine Sarah, as I'm getting on the plane, I'm turning right to go down the aisle and the captain comes out and taps me and says, Hey, you know what? I'm not feeling well. Do you mind taking over for me for this flight? Right? No, that wouldn't happen. That would never happen. But I know for a lot of people, that's what we're asking women to do. Um, we haven't gotten the training. We, you know, most of our families didn't really speak about money. And so we find ourselves doing the best darn that we can. But, um, you know, we don't have a place to go to to get the financial education, you know, to get that support. Um, and so obviously everyone should go to SavvyLadies.org. I mean, there's so many hundreds of TED talk like videos and hundreds of self-paced workshops that help my mention. Um, and for some people, they might want to work with a financial advisor. And um, when I say working with a financial advisor, um, that is actually what I do in my day job. It's actually how I pay for the charity. But what I always tell someone is when you're interviewing a financial advisor, there is three things to think about. Number one, are they a fiduciary? Are they by law? Explain what that is. Yeah, by law, they have to put your interests first all the time. Fee only, which means that they're not going to try and slide in, you know, greasy, sleazy commissions or try and sell you things. And number three, you need to do a gut check. I feel like we as women sometimes don't trust our gut. But we got it. But we've got it. And we it's got it. actually right. And you do that gut check because this is a person that you're going to be telling things to that some of even your closest friends have no idea. And they're going to be looking through your expenses and you have to feel comfortable. If you have big dermatologist bills that, hey, they don't care. It's Botox, whatever, that you spend money doing whatever. I don't even know. As long as it's not illegal. You have nothing to worry about and you want to make sure that that's a person that you know is going to embrace you with open arms with no judgments and just support you to you know live that most wonderful life that that we all deserve um so that's the thing is you know you don't have to do it on your own but what i just say is you know make sure it's a 
it's an advisor that you really can connect with um, and, and build that trust over time. You know, that brings up something for me, though, Stacy, as you're talking, if you are currently in a situation which is abusive, either emotionally or financially restrictive, um, it can be tough for you to trust your gut and your instincts, right? So is it um, advisable if you have a person in your life who you trust who is not in your situation to bring them with you if you're interviewing a financial advisor so you can do a gut check with them? Sarah, I actually, I'm so happy you brought that up because that's the most wonderful gift that you can give yourself. Um, and I will tell you that your dear friends want to go with you, you know, and, and a lot of individuals that we work with, um, you know, they're going through a divorce. It's an unbelievably traumatic time. Um, their spouse may have just passed away. Again, an unbelievably traumatic time. And having that trusted friend or family member, it's a second set of ears. It's a second gut check. And usually in those times, we are not at our best. Nope. We have issues with memory. We have issues with attention. We, I mean... Yeah, we well, we're processing everything. It, it yeah, and it's um, you know, anyone who has gone through those types of experiences, um, you know that you're not at your best. You're really not, and so having that person there is is really important. And quite frankly, they want to help you, but kind of just don't know how. And you know, I this is one of the most wonderful things that you can do is. Hey, would you mind going with me to this meeting? Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a, a great idea. It's not a time to pretend you're strong when you don't feel strong. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That just occurred to me when you were talking about the various situations folks have. And, um, and I've come to feel like even if I'm going into a situation where I may be able to do it on my own, they're just like, I want a second set of eyes and ears on it with me, right? Because we hear things different. Even if I'm feeling my best, I'm going to miss something someone else will hear and they'll say, well, you know, this is what I heard, you know, and I've started taking my little phone in, right? <laughs> you don't mind if I record this, do you? No. Yeah. Good. And it's really smart. And I mean, if we think about it, I mean, if, if, any of us was going in for a very serious major surgery. Um, we we would probably see more than one doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And we would want uh, our spouse or a family member or a friend to, you know, potentially even be there with us to be just that second person to hear things that maybe we don't hear. You know, it's very much like that. I know for my mom, when she was diagnosed with cancer, um, it would always be my dad or my mom or, or myself that would go with her and we would hear things differently. Right. And we would write things down. Um, and it was so much better because yeah. you almost can't process everything. No, you can't. Okay. And the doctor speaking to the patient. Right. So you actually can write down things. You can. I started doing that with my sister. I said, do you, what are your questions for the doctor before we get in there? And I'd write, I said, just I want to make sure that if he doesn't cover them, we ask them, right? This is what I, I really want to walk out knowing this, right? Sure enough, she could get going with it, but he'd bring up some other questions he needed to know. And then he would say, so what else is there? And I said, well, one moment. And I'd bring out my paper. I said, oh, we covered this and this. She wants to know this also, right? Or I would say to her, do you feel you got your answer to this question, right? But like just having that external brain is helpful and money is something to really have that with. Yeah, no, I agree. So I agree. now I want to shift gears on you here um, because we could go a long time. You have mentioned during our conversation that you have all these resources, but two in particular stood out to me that you put, that you told me about. One is your free financial help for widows resource guide. And the other is free divorce financial help for women resource guide. So we'll have those in the show notes and then you can go and we'll have all of your contact information in there. But I do want to ask you because we're asking our guests now to share something they learned or took away from a previous podcast guest, a previous no labels, no limits 
guest that, you know, really perked their ears up and something you learned. Do you have something to share with us? Yeah. So um, your episode 305, and it's a podcast that um, features Richard Allen. And I learned something from from him that uh, kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit in a good way. I'll say this why. Um, one of my mottos of life that I have always followed is feel the fear and do it anyway. Live a courageous life. Um, I did that with the charity at 26. I mean, I had no business opening a charity at age 26. I had a hundred dollars that I started it with. And then I, at age 27, started Francis Financial, my wealth management uh, firm, really to pay for the charity, but, but also, you know, you're 27 and you're, you know, opening a wealth management firm and you're managing and investing people's entire life savings. But again, feel the fear and do it anyway, because I knew it was the right thing. And I knew that my life needed to be about helping others. And that was for many reasons, but part of it was my own healing from losing my grandmother and trying to pay forward and make her proud that her story matters and her story inspires others to to live a better life. Um, and so at a very young age, um, I definitely had a uphill battle and creating these two amazing firms. And I've been able to do a lot of things that were I was very afraid of. I just spoke on Capitol Hill about financial challenges women face as um, as widows. I've been in the NASDAQ closing the bell and doing a live speech. Um, I've written, you know, hundreds of articles that have been uh, published. But the feel the fear and do it anyway, the one thing I have not done, Sarah, is write a book. And Sarah, it's been on my bucket list for years. And the fear that I have is, number one, who really wants to listen to my story, right? So that's one of the messages, right? Not true, but sometimes I, I have that message. And secondly, it's only professional writers that really can do this. And the reason I share this is that um, Richard Allen admitted that he just never saw himself as an author. But someone had come to him and said, you know, you really need to write about your experience. And then all of a sudden, he found himself on his ninth chapter. His story really resonated with me because I realized that every story has, has an ability to help people. And if, if your story can help other people, that needs to be told, number one. And number two, that you can be an author by just getting that pen and paper and starting that process and not necessarily having to have that, you know, formal training. So that was something that I really took in. And it's, it's funny because so many, you know, even just this week getting ready for this podcast, I had another person said, Stace, when are you writing the book? Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm ready to feel the fear, Sarah, and, um, do it anyway and, and start writing that book. So I have no doubt that people want to hear your story. It's relevant. It's powerful. Women need to hear it. Young women, older women, all of us need to hear it. Um, because it is a story of hope and transformation from where we are to where we want to be. Because you basically laid out, if this is your dream at 95, whether you're 18 or 30, here's how you can get there, right? Who doesn't want to know there's a path forward? So I hope that the next call I get from you is, hey, Sarah, I'm ready to launch my book. Hey, can we talk about it on the No Labels, No Limits podcast? And my answer will be, of course we can. So... I'm expecting that from you just reach because I'm serious. I'm not joking about that. Um, 
I, I would be honored to do that with you, but I just would feel so great knowing that what you know can reach even a bigger audience, Stacy, because not everybody's going to call your hotline. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And I have to say, this is just such a wonderful opportunity, um, you know, to be able to, to share. And, you know, I'm, I'm also just kudos to everyone who's listening in. I know how all, how busy we all are. Um, but what this is doing is this is investing in you. And you know, I know we talk about stock market and investing and how darn important that is. But, um, investing in yourself is, is just as important too. So you got to do, got to do both. Absolutely. So Stacy, thank you so much for being a guest on the episode, today's episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. Folks, if you got something from this episode, and really, who didn't get something from this episode, I'm encouraging you to share it with a friend. Um, if you have a daughter, a wife, a sister, somebody who you, you just know could use the information Stacy shared, please share it with them because you never know um, whose life you could change by doing that. And also, maybe just practice being a little more comfortable talking about money. It's not cringeworthy. It's energy. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.